<laughs> there we go. I just restarted, but I have the uh, the you know pre-show for Jackson if anything's good in there. Can you get pregnant from pre-show? Probably. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Morning. Welcome to Don't Be the Artist. I'm Hagen. I'm Dave. I'm Adam. And I'm Jackson. And I'm going to do better this time and let our guests introduce themselves before I uh, steamroll into some type of warm-up chat. We we have guests with us today. Uh, Matthew, why don't you go ahead and start and say who you are? Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Matthew Gray, uh, founder, frontman of Matthew and the Arrogant Sea, and uh, one of the subjects we're talking about with from this film, Nosebleeders, this evening. Happy to be here. Thank you guys for having us. And I am Cole Michek. I'm a friend of Matthew's. I am, I'm the guy who directed Nosebleeders, so... Nice to meet you all. The reason why we have you guys here is uh, you guys did a movie together, as you guys have said, Nosebleeders. And uh, Matthew, I did forget to say, uh, welcome back. This is your second time on the show. Yeah, Slightly yeah. different, but uh, happy to have you here. Yeah, no, it's it's truly a pleasure. Thank you all so much for for, for having me and, and allowing Cole to take part as well. We're, we're just thrilled to be here with you all this evening. Yeah, so uh, it's very easy for us to, you know, pull up, the nosebleeders, um, you know, synopsis and, you know, just read that off the page. But I would love to hear uh, either one of you, Matthew, if you want to say what you think nosebleeders is and then we can just kind of roll into it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, actually, I'm going to let Cole field this question. All righty. So nosebleeders is a documentary slash um, narrative. It's kind of a little bit more narrative than documentary. It's a true story about the early days of Matthew and the Arrogant Sea and um, sort of the events that led up to um, their cult classic debut album. And there were some, a lot of, yeah, just, just it's about those events leading up to that time. See, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, was this something, Cole, that you know, you came up with, uh, or Matthew, was this something that you've thought about doing for a bit or, you know, Cole just floated it your way? Well, no, it was, it was quite the opposite. It was one of those, what happened was, is during the, we, we had just finished the glooms part one and Cole had recently, uh, allowed or reached out to Mattis and was just like, Hey, you know, can I use, I, I believe it was, what, what song did you use? Was it mock origami or pretty purple top hat is what it was pretty purple top hat yeah my phantom limb you should check that out um did i get that right my phantom limb that's yes, it i did i did um but we basically met via social media and kind of just started talking i said yes use whatever you'd like in your film this looks wonderful and next thing you know we were talking about making a music video which that's which then turned into a short film throughout that process i kind of started telling Cole and I got to know each other better, and I started kind of telling him about this idea I had about the spooky side of what happened during uh, making this record. And throughout that process, which this that was the coolest part for me, throughout that process, Cole started speaking with everyone involved, and that's when the story came to life, if you will. 
right? Is that is that a good way to explain it, Cole? Something like that? Yeah, that's that's about right. Initially, I wasn't necessarily planning on talking to more people than just Matthew. We had initially scheduled like talking every week, having these like hour long phone calls, and we did that for probably a couple months. And then eventually, the story got bigger and bigger, and I learned that there were a lot more people involved and a lot of people who have different opinions about the things that happen. So for me, it was important to go and hear everyone's side of the story. So I wasn't just telling a one-sided thing because I wasn't there, so I didn't know. It's interesting to tell a story from various points of view at the same time, so I tried to hear as many points of view as possible and then from there take some creative liberties um, in the narrative aspects of the film, but then also try to just tell everyone's story as best as I could. Cole, you've done a couple of short movies and short pieces. This is your first feature-length film. How did the process grow, and, and how much different was it? This process of doing Nosebleeders was pretty unique um i think for most feature films because we did it on a really tight budget um we shot it all like in a week and under the hot august texas sun with a very tiny cast and crew and everything that i've done so far is tends to be that way like very minimal budget limited people making the thing um spontaneous and kind of figure it out as you go which I think works hand in hand with the way Matthew works as well so it was definitely like a struggle probably to get through that week but once we got did get through I think we were happy with how it turned out and I don't know it's I think I am super happy that we were able to film as much as we did in such a short amount of time under such difficult circumstances um but it worked out pretty well yeah with that uh you know talking about how you ended up cole talking to more people than just matthew trying to get all the sides of the story it really does come across in the film not that uh any one character is like an unreliable narrator but very cool that it's like hey you're getting all points of the story uh, and you get to decide from there how exactly you as the audience member feel. Was there at any point that, you know, when you started talking to these people outside of Matthew, so, I mean, there were people that you talked to, such as Caleb and Sarah. What When you started talking to those people, how what were their feelings when you started saying, hey, we're thinking about making a film of this? Um, That was definitely very fascinating for me because the story at first started out to be this more like paranormal supernatural otherworldly type of thing about with like conspiracy theories about Denton and Nike underground missile base and alien stuff um, which was very fascinating and the movie starts that way with like the seance and stuff like that But then I quickly learned that there's this whole other side to the film, which is what I was referring to earlier, people having different viewpoints on, um, like, the EMI deal and 
and uh, that We Shot JRA article and how that whole thing went down. So people were, I think a lot of other people were wondering like what my intentions were in making the film, like what my, what I wanted this to be. So those are interesting conversations with them and hearing how they feel about that time and how they feel about the people from that time. Given that there's no, at the end of the movie, there's no complete resolve. There are still different sides to the story. And the first part of it is very much going in a direction where, you know, this story is unfolding of all these supernatural things. Mm -hmm. Did that make closing it off and finishing the movie when you're like, okay, it's done. Did that make that a little more difficult to not have everything be super wrapped up? I, I think I think that was intentional. I think both Matthew and I like to keep things intentionally pretty um, open and slightly vague so that does leave room for people to think what they want to think and feel what they want to feel and have opinions about whatever happened for themselves. Um, and for me that was important because, like I said, I wasn't um, there for any of this. Um, I was just hearing people talk about those events. Um, so to have a relatively open ending fit like how I felt about everything that happened because I wasn't there. And then I feel like people watching it hopefully can get a similar experience. So Matthew, um, are you a naturally introspective person or was, you know, working with Cole or really who all you worked with on this film, was that kind of difficult to put yourself under the microscope in this way? You know, at first it was, it really was. And and you, and I struggled with it a great deal going into it, but to be honest with you, Jackson, it was, I was, I had just gotten to know Cole and I'd felt like we had really connected and I could tell with all of my heart that he was being genuine and he just wanted to tell the story, which is all I wanted was to really just kind of unfold a part of my life that happened in a very strange kind of way. But in that time, there wasn't ever the opportunity to say, no, that it went this way, you know? And so that there were moments of this movie that that was a little intentional, I think, for me to speak my truth on that side. Great awkward answers, guys. I've got them. I'll have them all <laughs> night. Well, at one point in the film, you you know, you talk about that time, how all the, the dramatic stuff that happened on the back end of it with the deal and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I understand what you mean by it. you wouldn't really be able to explain like, well, guys, you don't understand. Like there was a blue light and then I, I met this guy <laughs> and that told me his not real name and his wife kept feeding me wine and we got real weird about it. And yeah, <laughs> they didn't like Blake and then they liked Blake and stuff got weird. Yeah. <laughs> so you say like in the movie at one point you explain that the feeling from the note experience when you wake up mm-hmm. and that note is taped to the inside, it would be too out there for people. I say, let's get out there. So if you can oh. relay it, tell us what the feeling was. Man, it was, I don't know, it was kind of like, wait, it was almost like being in some sort of stasis for what felt like hours or even days, but was only moments. And that it ended with a, a directed note that really kind of drove this weird little alien fixation in my mind even more. Which is really why I started writing, you know, the family record. It's why we started, like, focusing that. as like, I want to make something fantastical because, holy shit, I just realized the universe is fucking fantastical. I mean, it is, like, but, you know, I'm, I'm getting off. I'm getting off base. 
Did that? Did I mostly answer your question? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, okay. I mean, because I don't know. In the, in the section of the movie where you meet Arvin and Laura, I love the way it was broken up into chapters. By the way, kind of right. It was like the yeah. proximity effect section of the movie. Al or Arvin, sorry. When you're looking into the telescope, I transcribe the speech that he says. I'm not going to say all of it, but some of the stuff that he's saying to you is is like it's pretty out there. But it also kind of reaffirms some of the things you experienced when you guys were recording at Sonic. I can't remember the name of the place, but, you know, the seance and all those weird things. Right, right. Um, I can see why you would think that the universe is speaking to you. But I also know that at the start of the movie, you mentioned there was a lot of drugs. Mm -hmm. There certainly was. At any point, did you think, man, have I fried myself? Yes. God, many times. But the thing was, is like, I really wasn't, to be completely frank with y'all, there were times where I did kind of dabble more in drugs than I would now going into my 40s, um, certainly. But <laughs> I, I wouldn't ever say that there was a time where I actually was fried out. I was normally the guy doing drugs with lots of other people that came out of it and made sure everyone else was okay. So I don't think there really was ever a time that I looked at it and was like, holy shit, I fried myself and this is all fake. Only because to this very day, there's still elements of that story that are still very real in my world. Right. And we can, you know, so that I see where you I, I was I've gotten that question from a couple of close friends and I love getting that question. I'll be honest, Dave. So thank you. <laughs> Well, no, it's just I know you you mentioned the movie also that yeah. you did go see a doctor and like mm-hmm. I I had a, a really close friend of mine who um was taking medication for ADHD or something along those lines and when he got off the medication he had a psychotic break yeah and so you know when I was watching this movie I thought like that that one point where you you're t- having these conversations with EMI mm-hmm. and it's locked in and it seems really set in stone my friend would tell me weird things like that too but for him it was that like the military was chasing him i'm not saying you had a psychotic no but like when you go and get checked out and they're like hey man everything's fine and you're like yeah this is true i'm telling everybody this is true it's gotta be frustrating it certainly was and you know i'll I'll be even more frank with you like there was maybe maybe four or five people that were aware of what I was experiencing just because at that time I was really going into a new record label and we had all these big things kind of, you know, as it happens when you sign, you have all these balls in the air and you're like, Oh fuck, here we go. You know? And so Mm -hmm. in the midst of all that, you know, I I just, yeah. To even back it up a little bit uh, for me, uh, I knew that this movie was a thing just following you on social media, Matthew, and I decided, you know what, I'm not going to read any of the synopsis. I'm just going to go into this and just let it hit me organically. And for anyone who plans on doing that, I mean, this movie, as we've already alluded to, it hits for a lot of people, likely unexpected territory of aliens, spirits, Mm -hmm. and curses. And we already mentioned his name, but Matthew, do you want to talk about this person, Arvin, and... You know, with that, can you put down like we Cole mentioned that this is you know kind of a documentary and a mm-hmm. retelling? Can you put like a percentage on how much you would say that this is like this is exactly how you experienced these events through your eyes? Even down to the speech that Arvin gives you in the yard. 
<laughs> okay, so I'll be honest with you. I would say what 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 would you say, Cole? I would say God, I mean ninety percent. I really like we really were striving for sincerity. We really were like that was very important to Cole and I, especially considering the the topic. And you know, there's some moments where you're like, Holy shit, is Matthew an asshole? What's happening? You know, and I, I love that there's that level of honesty there. I really do. Because that that's how we all felt, you know? Right. Yeah, and it was definitely fascinating um, that, I don't know if you guys know, but Matthew was, like, there every day while we were shooting on set. So, like, we're directing these actors who, you know, an actor who's playing Matthew, and Matthew's, like, watching him, um, watching, like, his story being retold. Um, So it was really fascinating, and... um, just to see Matthew's reactions while we were shooting sometimes to see like how he felt about like some of the lines that were written or how the actors are, are, are saying what's being said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's pretty cool that, that Matthew, you let us, you know, take a lot of those creative liberties. Um, even when we weren't always showing you in a positive light because yeah. the intention was never to, just make this like your story was to um make be honest and to show people as people um for all their good and bad parts so that was was pretty cool eloquent and beautiful thank you cole thank you for telling this story truly i uh i remember the week very vividly of (laughs) filming uh, just like getting texts from Matthew, just like, you know, like, can you guys come, come, come to set? It seemed like something like maybe he just wanted support or something. But I remember, I, might, I guess it was the last day of filming when we did like the little show Yeah, yeah. and uh, showing up and it just, it just, it seemed like you could see like the weight being lifted <laughs> off of you during that, during that moment of the show of just like, oh, it's done. Yes. We filmed this thing. Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, I think to go back really quickly, um, I, I I think that my fa- I think I told you this. My favorite character, quote unquote, is Arvin. And I asked you this when we were in the studio recently. But can I meet him? You can. Yes. He is an actual real person who does live in Denton, Texas. Um, everything that he you see in the film and more was very true. Being around Arvin and Laura was like this elusive, bizarre acid trip from the minute it hit you to the minute it ended. You couldn't, you couldn't, you just couldn't let go of their grip. It was, it's something else. And then he starts telling you how many times he's actually been abducted. But I mean, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> are they, are they still together? Mm-hmm. To my knowledge. Can um, you speak strange. on if she's been abducted? Uh, I cannot. Okay. Yeah. That There's some weird some weird things around the the Laura and Arvin and the number of times he's been taken. But, you know, and, you know, during the process, Cole and I, like, I was aggressively trying to get Arvin to meet because we really wanted him to talk. We really wanted his side of it. We really, really wanted him to confirm it. But during that time, I was also getting closer with Ken, who's also featured in the movie. And there's some... Something there, I guess. Ken yeah. is the uh, author of the what Denton Underground. Yeah, Denton Underground Secrets, and uh, I mean, he was also a, a very interesting author, or was 
Uh, if you look up the author Albert Most, he actually wrote this book about you know toad licking and the psychedelics behind it, and it's a world famous book, believe it or not. So he's he's led, led many lives, much like my other friend Arvin. Um, so hopefully we can. I can introduce him to Hagen here, and we can get a picture up on y'all's Instagram for proof later. Oh, on. Please, but we can please. we can do this because he is very very real. Him and Laura both. I really like the intro uh, to Ken. Whenever he mentions, if I remember this correctly, he points at like he had some livestock on his land, and he goes, "I get tax breaks from that." And I was just <laughs> like, "God damn, what a badass!" <laughs> he was. He, was he says it's like rabbit or goat food or something. Yeah, it's for the goats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cole, how do you not laugh when you're in those scenarios? Even Matthew, there's a part where you guys are going out to the backyard and you look back at the camera and it's the most priceless thing. I'm like, I've seen Matthew make this face at me. I know exactly what's happening. <laughs> that, that was the most like surreal part of like the, the whole shoot was definitely, I think, meeting Ken. Because for me, that was it was completely on accident. That was at the nike missile base and we were just like hey we're just gonna show up um and like i think we're just gonna get some footage or something like that and then we just randomly came across him and we were like hey can we like walk around can you give us like a tour of the place or something and that just led to this conversation and in in the movie there's only like maybe like four or five minutes total of him featured but we talked to him for hours yeah um (laughs) And he was just the coolest guy. And then it was really even crazier to find out a year later or or so while I'm editing the movie that he had passed. And so we, like, found him at, like, just before he's not here anymore. And um, we're able to meet such an awesome person. Um, And, yeah, like, he was obviously such a character, too. So that, that was... A pretty great experience i think meeting ken so when, when you matthew in the movie when you follow the coordinates you end up at a gate mm-hmm. um and it seems like there's nothing there but you're looking up at the sky right. and then at the end when you're talking to ken you say hey th- these are the coordinates and you can see the look on his face he just stops for a second and he's like what the fuck yeah um was that like when you went there there was nothing there and then you go back maybe what is it 20 years later mm-hmm and he's there. So here's here's the thing. Technically, technically the coordinates led me to the property of the Nike oh. missile base. Ken was portioned off about two acres of it, which is why he didn't completely have access to the underground tunnels. Even though, Cole, and Cole can attest to this, he showed us his tunneling and how he was actually trying to tunnel down into... Yes, he had this beautiful building. It was one of the most amazing sculptors like there was all this beautiful steel skulls like this guy was one of a kind and completely unique what was strange to me was after those scenes we're leaving we're hugging like cole can tell i just met my new best friend like he's like oh my god the guy i break my key in my car ignition and he comes back out it was so bizarre like just like that everyone saw it and i'm like motherfucker and i was just okay and so he comes out and gives me this this screwdriver and we managed to get it out or we managed to turn it to get the engine to turn over and he's like wait a second and he goes back into his house and i kind of half asked follow him and he comes back out and he hands me this dissertation of his life's work on the history of denton the underground tunnels 
which I still have to this very day, um, alongside some other interesting things that Ken gave me beyond that. Um, I think we connected on some really spiritual level, which is how I also feel about Arvin Hill. Right. That's uh, Is that some of the stuff on his website? Mm-mm. No? No. Oh, this is not public super, information. Secret stuff. Yeah, this is goes back to FEMA days, back when Nike Missile, or back when the military was basically selling this back to FEMA. Because, you know, the story behind the Nike Missile base, right, is they literally... Have you ever heard of the little island outside of Denton on Lake Louisville called Camp Copus? Well, let, let's back up. I, okay, you sorry. Know, I want, when, as soon as you guys brought this up in the movie, the Nike Underground Missile Base, I just thought about i'm gonna go read it but i would like matthew you have the mic now so <gasps> let's go ahead explain it like i'm five for me okay. and the listeners because i know nothing about any of this Same. well I'm, I'm a bit of a, a denton history nerd and you know i'm not quite is is fluent in denton history as some of other my friends here in town but from what i've gathered and what i now know for certain is the nike missile base started in you know the cold war era uh, it was built as a fallout, much like the FEMA, which was built, that FEMA whole camp was built, or I'm sorry, base was built many years after, but that's when they sold off the Nike missile base. You see, the government in the United States, they ran on and set up these Nike missile bases all over the United States, and they would uh, they would position them near uh, about 35 mi- miles 35 to 40 miles, if my memory is correct, away from a major city. So if a president were in a major city, they could get underground. God forbid there was a Cold War attack. That's kind of how that all started. Okay, right? Well, they actually, there's an, a, a little camp here in Denton off Lake Louisville called Camp Copus. The amount of dirt they used to build, they pulled out of the ground to build Nike and then the, the, FEMA, miss, the, the FEMA camp is the fucking island. So it goes down quite deep, and these tunnels go all throughout town, and they are since been very connected with the Masons. And it's something, not since, that's been an, a thing since the military released that property. Because there were beds and stuff down there, right? Oh, yes. And then Texas Instruments bought the property, and so what I've been told now is that there are, yes, Texas Instruments bought the property, Prior to UNT purchasing this other side of the property. So I'm told there's actually fucking robots from like the 80s in certain areas of the the uh, decks below. I can't confirm it. But I have I've met some people who have told me such tales. So, Matthew, if I ever see you walking around with a bunch of Nike shoes on all the time, like brand new Nikes, I'm going to know that you, you those documents that you got from Ken are uh, pretty feisty. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, one Nike if by land, two Nikes if by uh, UFO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's about right. That's about right. <laughs> so hey, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the music uh, aspect of this, Matthew. So looking back at the early band, uh, I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners know this, but Matthew and the Arrogant Sea is still going today. And uh, can you put a uh, year or year frame that this is uh, in? Matthew, the movie? Oh, this would have been in the early 2000s before the Family 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 release, which was released in 08, I believe. 2008, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Matthew and Arrogant Sea started 2001, so 
probably what Cole? What would you say? Like oh five to oh seven kind of thing, even into oh eight, right in there. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of what we were shooting for. If my memory's serving me well. Well, there is the section where uh, the yeah character Sarah, uh, she was wearing the um, uh, Obama Biden shirt, so it definitely yeah. touches on that. Yeah, that was intentional for for sure. Obama, Biden, 08, so people know the time frame. That's probably one of the main ways that people can know is that shirt. (laughs) I don't think we're we're pretty vague other than that, I think. Because it it spans over so much time, um, and some events are mixed up a little bit Mm -hmm. because to, like, fit a certain narrative. Like, I think some of the things happen, like, later on, but we made it seem like they happened earlier on just so... It made sense, but yeah, in general, it was yeah like 2005 to 2008, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, Matthew, looking back at the early iteration of the band that's portrayed in this film, I mean, h- how does that feel? Is there like this sense of growth or any disconnections with the different iterations over the years? Because as Hagen was saying, Hagen, you play with the band now, yeah. and you. <laughs> are not in this movie. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll field the first part of this question and say the band has gotten exponentially worse over the past maybe three years, something around there. There was like something that happened and I, uh, you know, uh, maybe a new member or something. Like, I don't know what it was. Uh, uh, but, you know, yeah, that's that, that that's about my take on it. And I also, I am in the movie at the end, all right, Jackson? He, he is. I was going to say, he is in the movie at the end. And, you know... oh. My house is in the movie at the end. Wait, you what? drove by really? my house on your bicycle, and I'm like, that's my house. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, for me, going thinking back to you know the very start, which was just me, and then was just me and my brother and my nephew, every other version of the band, I've always looked at Mattis. I don't even want to say like a collective. It's, it's like a family, and you know, families, you grow and you evolve, and people come and people go, and sometimes you fucking fight. Sometimes you don't like each other, but ultimately you have each other's backs. I certainly would say there might be one or two people, uh, or I should just say one specifically, and I don't know that I have to mention his name, but um, that I don't really, I'm not really connected with anymore. But for the most part, I do try to keep in touch with everyone I've ever played with because I treat Mattis like a family. And less like a project, less like a business, even though it's ran like a business. But it, to me, it's important that the people I share that creative effort with, that they feel like we're a part of it together. And it's not just the Matthew show. What's cool as a uh, you know fan of the music that you create, Matthew, is I met you at Backyard on Bell, as I've met most people in my life, it seems. But uh, that was... A, <laughs> Pretty soon after you had released, uh, or the band had released, The Glooms Part 1. And so that is the section of the band that I know onward, you know, relatively well. And not that this isn't in there anymore, but it was super cool to hear the early Matthew and the Arrogant Sea music where you were, as you were saying, using more fantastical language and, Mm -hmm. you know, being really more freeform with your thoughts and not like sticking to that, you know, what rhymes with love you, that kind of thing. So that was really cool. Cool. When you talk about the, the first iteration of the band and how you're in contact with everybody and there's, they're all featured in various phone calls and they have nothing but nice things to say about you. 
like you know now where you are now right, right. not that they say particularly rude things but just the no, time yeah. but when you told them that you were making the uh, the movie did they believe you uh like did they think you were about to be like we're getting 6 million dollars to make this movie <laughs> you know what i'll be honest with you i feel like the first iteration of the band anytime i tell them anything they all have that question mark that pops up in their head and i think it's okay considering how all that unfolded you know i think it's okay because i want everyone to have their honest true process what whether it's positive or negative like i don't care man let's just be real with each other um you know and that's that's kind of my mentality so yeah i I will say too um that i did speak to some band members that um were parts of the band post like when the movie takes place and um a few of them had mentioned to me that the story gets like even juicier if i would have kept going um (laughs) but i opted not to because it was already such a big thing so i mean there's still more to be told for sure post that that time period um Mm -hmm. but it's just not included in this this iteration of the story so this will be the the one thing the one hard-hitting question i'm going to throw at you matthew and i want to preface this with the matthew i have known and met has been nothing but incredibly nice to me and like has always you know included me on things especially when we're doing shows together so i never thought to question any of that until I saw this film. So it, it was definitely, you know, and then as Cole was saying, you know, you hear rumors or murmurs that, oh, it it, it, it keeps going, that kind of thing. So it was interesting to hear, you know, you putting yourself out there like this. And, you know, is there any concern on your end, Matthew, uh, that a criticism of discussing the events of this film under the idea of a curse might come off as not fully owning one's actions? Eh. I mean, for, forgive the eh, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I don't. I don't at all. I mean, anyone who's ever known me could say, God, he's fucking weird and he's awkward, but he's a sweetheart. Um, and that's just the fucking truth. Fantastical things have always happened to me. Funny story, and I'm going to go back to this. The author that I meet in Recycled Books, that actually wasn't an author in Recycled Books. That was motherfucking Randy Travis, who knew me from another life. Standing next to my sister, when I met Ian McCulloch from the Rolling Stones, he knew me from another life. So strange, bizarre, and fantastical things have always happened to me in some Randy capacity. Travis, yes, the country, the country singer. singer. The country singer. Yeah, that was in the initial script. <laughs> he meets Randy Travis, but unfortunately yeah, we couldn't yeah. get Randy Travis. We couldn't afford it. that, yeah. <laughs> so we just had to be like a random guy. So yeah, it was that's the pretty crazy. But I mean, like, that's that's the other side of the coin, right, Dave? Like, you're probably right. There's a lot of people out there that would go, eh, or and, I'm sorry, Jackson, like, that might question or waver a little bit. But man, I would say, let's get a beer and talk because I might surprise you. Well, and that's where it comes off well, and the way that Cole has put this together is that it doesn't feel like it's just coming from your end. Mm -hmm. It really allows the viewer to make up a decision for themselves or decide, hey, do I want to look a bit more into this? And then also, that goes into a little bit more of just human nature of like, 
let's say all the worst things that everyone says about us are true. Okay, from there, are you going to allow someone to grow and become this person that I met at Backyard on Bell who I very much enjoy every time I'm around and I love talking with? Or are you going to immediately shut them down by their worst day? And at the end, I don't have the answer and no one really does. But, you know, just having that compassion, I think, is a a good idea. And then you can make your decision after that, after you have that beer. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's really the best way I could say it is like if you if you've got questions about the movie, you know, like one of my songwriting heroes is David Bazan. And when he plays a set, he likes to ask his fans. Do you have any questions? How are we feeling? What's going on, guys? And to me, this was my way to reach to my fans and say, this shit did happen. How do we feel about it? It happened. It's honest. You know, yeah, there were definitely elements of me being like a kind of a young, arrogant asshole. And I know I went through that area in my life, especially when I started doing bigger tours and things of that nature. But the best part about seeing this movie come together was that I was able to be really honest about that time in my life. And a, a lot of the people that surrounded me in that time, they, they validated those or validated what I was saying in a lot of ways. But, you know, it's, it's definitely like, you know, when you finish something like this and you're, you've, you've been holding on to this for long enough. And like Jackson said, uh, Matthew, I've played with. Matthew and the Arrogancy was yeah, you and yeah. Hagen and I played as a trio yeah. in Austin. It was one of the best nights of my life. It was, a it was fucking awesome. Yeah. And I have nothing but good things to say about you. So I was blindsided. But when you get something like this out that you've been holding in for that long, there's a sense of like, oh, okay. Yeah, dude. <laughs> but is there also a sense of like, oh, fuck, now people are actually going to ask questions? No, not at all. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a free thinker and a free speaker, and often it gets me into trouble. And often I let my mouth take me down new areas because I think I know better. But I love the questions. Like, I want to be honest. I was a young man then, and as a young man in your 20s, you do not have it together. We all know that. You just start to figure it out. And that was my process of kind of growing through it. And I'm grateful that Cole was like there to to listen to me and hear my side of it. But I was immensely grateful for him reaching out to a lot, everyone in the, that was a part of it and wanted to get their side of it. Cause that was very important to me. Um, whether it was positive or negative, I didn't care. It was true. And in my mind and that, I, I think a lot of it was kind of a release for me in a weird way. Because I never was able to really just tell that side of the story. It was just assumed. And then when you sign with the label, they're like, that's fucking hilarious. Like, that was like the greatest like ploy to get signed to a label. And you're like, no, it really did happen. And so that's, that was pretty much how I told that story for many, many years until Cole listened to me. So for me, it's been a really beautiful experience. And I say bring on the questions and, you know... Again, I have no hate for anyone that has questions. Probably just Charlie. He'd be the only one. Right. But, so yeah. in, in the movie, the, the character that's Blake, is that Blake that's currently in the band? No. Um, during that time, I had a, a very good friend who, who did the album art for The Glooms Part 1, actually. Blake Wilson was his name. And we spent quite a... We're, we're still very good friends. He lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico now. And is still painting and creating beautiful works of art. Um, 
but yeah, different different Blake, but he's been dealing with some some mental health issues, so he wasn't able to speak, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But you uh, you say to that character, um, you know, you wonder if it is you. So clearly you're aware of it, like you've been thinking about it. Because a big theme in the movie is that every time you get something going, people leave. Even yeah. your brother at one point. So you yeah. wonder if it is you. And towards the end, some I forget who it is. I don't know if it was mentioned who it was. But the quote was, one by one, his lies kicked us out. What do you say to someone who does watch the movie and comes out of it seriously thinking like, this guy needs help. Like, I know he's fine. I know they're releasing records, but you need help. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say anyone who's ever been in a band for an extended period of time and dealt with record labels and dealt with management and marketing and everything in between, and then also dealt with people of differing opinions. I, I think that anyone who's experienced something like that could probably attest to why I wouldn't or why you know I would handle it a certain way just because you have to be delicate and I'll be honest with you in those times and this is one thing I think I may have said or I may I don't even know if it made it into the film but I know I've told it to Cole in those times I was dealing with a band of people that were more fucked up than I could ever imagine even my brother at some times and he'll even admit that and we have a very good relationship um, but during those times that was going on, uh, and that's, even though we didn't really, I didn't want to press into that beyond some of the more extreme things we did experience, a lot of that was going on. And so when you're trying to lead a band and you're a young songwriter who's being kind of sought after in some capacity, you start to question, well, who can I trust and who can I really relate this information to? And do I have a group of people who are competent enough to actually work or is this a dream and a lot of the top of times it, it kind of felt like that so in the, in the section of the movie where you you know after all this stuff blows up about the record deal and stuff you disappear for two months uh it you know that's how it's kind of put even your yeah. brother i think he's like you disappeared for two months and you're like no hold on a second like i didn't disappear you guys fucking left what 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 was what were you doing in those two months well, I went to my parents for a little while. I did that. I explored some different areas of Texas for a little while. And I came back with this crazy idea to make this record. And I remember going to the band at that time and be like, guys, I, I had this vision. Like, I've written the songs except like two. And it was literally within the universe. And I believe um, Olive Was an Oliver were the only two songs we did not write on, like, uh, did not have prepared but wrote in the studio. And I remember going to them and none of them, you know, at that point I was just, you just look crazier when you're perceived as crazy. What did right. I do, Dave? I embraced the crazy. <laughs> I, I love that part of the movie where you're, mm-hmm. you're showing them a song, I believe. And yeah. Cole, this is a question for you. It, Matthew's speaking on how they're, you know, they're, the songs are coming from uh, outer galaxy energies and things like that. And, and, he says basically like we can tap into this stuff and then you cut to flashes of the f- members of the Beatles. Was that you saying like, yeah, I think Matthew was that your little bit of being like the guy in the conversation going, yeah, tell him Matthew. I think, yeah, I think there's a little bit of that in, in, in that moment. Um, the Beatles are obviously like the Beatles. I don't even have to like explain how 
like influential they are and how they also have drama of their own so and like obviously there's like Paul McCartney and John John Lennon who are seen as like the leaders and then there's like Matthew and Caleb who were kind of the core of Matthew and the arrogancy at the beginning um so there's there's some interesting parallels I think that I was trying to play on in that little moment and I'm a huge Beatles are the best I think I'm a huge fan so you know it's nice to do a little quick shot of them I also kind of wanted to um add a little bit to what into what you guys were talking about earlier with um just people's opinions on Matthew um it's interesting talking to all those people um from those from those times who aren't necessarily as close to him as they used to be and pretty much all of them for the most part have positive things to say about him that he's like incredibly talented people call him like a creative genius head in the clouds like super you know super interesting character um wish him nothing but the best you know wish him nothing but the best you know they'll have a beer with him but that all but they also do say you know that all of them do have an ounce of some a little bit of bad blood um definitely one person um charlie from the film who there's aspects of the movie that changed the very that 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 the film was something and turned into something entirely different because of his opinions um and how he wanted to be perceived in the movie which was very interesting um because the movie came out and then a couple days later had to change because of some logistical things but yeah for the most part people have great things to say about Matthew there's just um also some some common themes that come that, that have come up come up with a lot of them too but I believe it's like Matthew said, if you're in a band for long enough. I, I mean, I could tell stories about that stuff, too. Yeah. And Matthew, how much of this stuff, uh, as Jackson mentioned earlier, you know, I mean, you hear murmurs about rumors in the music scene, yeah. especially in such a small scene. Yeah, definitely. Uh, how much of this stuff, you know, the the fact that this movie was made and the the hugeness of the story where it got out to the We Shot JR, is that what it's called? Yeah. Well, I mean, that uh, when it gets out to that thing and it, it kind of blows up, how much of this was perpetuated by people who weren't even involved in the scenario? I mean, there there was a fair amount. We had a manager uh, at that time. Um, I won't say his name just because he's a nice dude and, you know, he was young. And that's kind of honestly like you hear how I'm as a young uh, as, as an older musician now. I, I look at these mistakes and go, well, we were young and we, we needed the money. Right. You know, so we were we were trying. Yeah, things. We all know that. Yeah, right. But I think ultimately, like there was there was a fair amount perpetuated outside of the band. But ultimately, the We Shot Jr. thing came together because Charlie and I had a disagreement about why we should be talking about a record deal that wasn't done. It was just an hy- hypothesized deal. You know that that was the one thing that they'll probably all argue you would argue to you on to this day. Just because it, I think it was so real to all of us at that time, you know. Well, yeah, and you know how exciting it is when something yeah. like that comes up. And from their perspective, they're Certainly. not informed. Yeah, uh, they're not in on the phone calls, so they're thinking, "Well, Matthew and and everything, everything we know is set in stone. So why can't we talk about it? If it's yeah. true, there might be some sense 
on that end of him going, well, why can't I talk about it, Matthew, if it's true? Are you lying? Because if you are, tell me. If you're not, I'm going to go do this thing. Right, yeah. Young kid stuff. Yeah, it is. And I understood it all. Like, and I understood where they were coming from. And that was a big part of why I disappeared is because I wanted to kind of, I don't know, get my bearings and understand. Because at that time, I was still, I, I often find myself being the old man in a group of really cool younger people. You know, that's me on this podcast. I know. I love it. I love it. And you as well, Cole. Like, I love it because I'm surrounded by really inspired folk. But because of that, I've also found myself playing over time with with people that weren't as together as the people I surround myself with now. And that put me in some really bad spots. Uh, You know, like things we could I won't dive deep into it because I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone's story or their past. Um, But I think that's the best way. I could put it is the longer you play with people and the longer you play with new people and the more you play, the more you do encounter. If you're open to it, if you are the guy that's like, you know what, whatever, come into my world like a fucking hurricane. Let's see what happens. <laughs> if you are that guy, you'd be surprised. Some the people you'd meet. I mean, shit, I, I made a career out of it somehow. <laughs> well, in uh, the vacation section of the movie, when I love the part where you shake the snow globe and you, I missed you, Santa Claus. Can you talk more about that? Cole, you take that one. Yeah, Cole. Because the snow globe is a running theme throughout the movie. Yeah. The interesting thing about the snow globe, um, in, the, in the very first version of the script, there's a scene that opens up from Matthew's childhood um, when he's like four or five with Caleb um, with his sisters around the table during Christmas and that snow globe is there and that's one of those things that didn't end up getting included in the movie but I just kept it in because I liked sort of what it symbolized and um, his it's like you know Christmas brings you back to like family for a lot of people Um, and Matthew comes from a pretty uh, conservative Christian background correct? Um, and so that's kind of what that is. Matthew's going through a lot of crazy stuff in that moment, and it's kind of whimsical in a way, but at the same time, he's looking at Santa Claus, and to me that symbolized, um, just like where he came from and how far he is from that in that moment. Because also in that section of the movie, the the character is, is going through a lot, and the scene in the bathroom where Matthew's character puts on the red stuff and then holds the knife up, I thought for a second, I wonder if at this point in your life, had you been contemplating uh, maybe going away for longer than two months, doing the big sleep? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Like 100%. But, you know, that writing music is what got me through that. Because during those times, I mean, it it was really tough to, to, when you create a family or what the start of the family is and then it crumbles over controversy based on other people's fucking opinions not even the truth um but it was also i kind of backed myself into a corner the way that i handle it you know and i look back at it now as an old man older man thinking of how i run my band now going holy shit why did i do that that was a dumb idea you know communicate and allow people to be a part of the cool things that are happening in the band um but in those days it was it was quite difficult just cuz everyone was mostly under 21 and i was the only one a little over and uh i just it was hard to know who to trust i'll be honest with you and that's something i've struggled with throughout 
my musical career because of that very moment until, you know, now, now I'm a little bit more confident and comfortable and I love my, my band family so much. Yeah. Cause you talk about like at one point where you're saying like, I think after you come back, you go, fuck it. You know, I'm just going to like that. Like I just want, everyone's wearing these fucking masks. Like my mask is off. I want everyone that I'm yeah. involved with to have their masks off as well. Yeah. And so you kind of get a better gauge for how to notice that in people as you progress through your life in the music industry or the film industry too, Cole. I'm sure there's Definitely. some of that in the film industry. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. How did you go about uh, casting this movie, Cole? Casting was um, it's my first time really doing like legit casting, um, and it was pretty easy. It was all like online, just through I don't even remember what it was called, some casting site in like Dallas mostly um for free you just was able to like put out casting calls and um say what the movie was and then I got a bunch of auditions um and I was able to actually like select some there it was all just online people sending in video calls and uh some really talented people sent in auditions that were pretty similar to the people that I'd met and the people that I'd talk to over the phone so that was a pretty smooth and fun process so on top of that uh cole while we're talking about the process of the filmmaking one thing that visually was my favorite part of the film was the animations that are layered sporadically through the the scenes that's you right yeah that's 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 my little aesthetic touch for sure that 2d animation um it's, it's something i've done in a lot of uh, my short films and stuff that I've made before that movie and some of the music videos that Matthew and I made before Nosebleeders as well that animation is in there um, inspired by Norman McLaren for sure if you want to look that guy up he's super talented yeah it definitely it fits the aesthetic of the band really well if you look at the artwork of any of definitely the most recent uh, albums and EPs I fits really well with the band so you know let's switch gears and this may be the last thing that i have to ask and you know just end on kind of a you know future looking note for you know the band matthew and the arrogant sea has released a new ep uh titled but who are you now and that was in 2020 last we spoke matthew was in 2018 and you had been using the make america weird again tagline liberally pun (laughs) intended and uh so what's the past three years been like and i also have it on good authority you guys are working on new music holy shit dude yeah no we are um working on a new record uh it's tentatively titled if you find yourself floating away and it's a whole new story um that, I mean, hell, I haven't even told Hagen or Blake or Tony, like, really the content, the intention behind the record. But, you know, coming from my religious, my religious conservative background, and I'm glad that, that Cole had mentioned that, um, I was always kind of fascinated or and overwhelmed by the idea of, of religion and the rapture and things of that nature. Um, and now being, like, a staunch atheist, I'm most certainly not thinking that I'm going to be raptured up. But I wanted to really write about my experiences going through, you know, as a young man and dive deeper into something. And so this record, if you find yourself floating away, is a whole new story with a whole new cast of characters. 
much like the family, which, you know, if you think about it in my way, when I think about Mattis, I think about the cast of characters from the records, right? And they come in and they weave in and out. And we, t- we bring in the astronaut sounds live sometimes even just to kind of keep that feeling, that whimsical feeling. Um, so I'm really excited to start telling a new story and, and, and see where that takes us. I, I'm so excited to see you guys play again sometime soon because uh, the gig that I was fortunate enough to play at at Oasis, yeah, we were about to go on stage. I think that's what it was. We were about to go on stage, and you said, "Hey, hey, we're gonna play this song called The Line." Oh shit! And, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't learn that one." And <laughs> you're like, "No, no, dude, just do what you feel." And it's like that was the the first instance of me being like oh this guy knows what he's talking about. do what i feel yeah i'm a very like i guess i don't know if it's type a but like i like to know exactly what i'm gonna play when i get on stage i get it but uh we played that song so when i was listening to the to the all the all of your music to prepare for this i was so happy to hear that because for me it was a moment of you taught me like hey just let go a little bit and Aww. let's play this song so I want to thank you for that, but I'm super excited to hear the new stuff. You're you're so sweet. Thank you, Dave. Hey, first of all, I can't wait just to see you like in person and <laughs> hug you. It's been too long, man. Second, I remember that moment. You know what's really funny that you mentioned that story? Hey, Cole, prior to going to Oasis, do you know where I was in Colorado and what I was filming? The line. We were shooting the line video. Mm-hmm. So coming back full throttle from Colorado to I believe it was post South by or during South by one of the two I was so fired up and then I didn't have God did we even have Tony that night no it was just trio no it was just the three of us we opened for John Fulbright oh that's right (laughs) and John Fulbright is is one of my favorite artists he's cool as shit too he's a really good dude really good dude but yeah so that's I'm so that's so sweet that you you brought that story up i uh i give matthew endless shit for the uh the thing he says to me all the time which is follow your heart um there's a just a just a little bit of insight for anyone who listened to the new ep uh there's a song on there that i didn't hear until the day i got to the studio and i was like what do you want from me on the song matthew and he just said follow your heart yeah <laughs> well hagan and i have been involved in session work where there we don't know the songs until we get to the studio prior to you guys recording that music so he's walking in going i've been here before yeah don't tell me to follow my heart (laughs) i don't know i'll be honest with you i have never i mean outside of hagen no i've never gotten a bad reaction to follow your heart i feel like most people are like fuck you and i love you yeah i have to second what hagen's saying as you can tell the band moniker that the three of us are in we yeah. uh, are very uptight when it comes to knowing our parts. We don't really go up there and follow our hearts. Uh, oh, man. So I, I'll second what Hagen has to say. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm down to follow my heart. It's whatever. That's fine. It's just, it's, you know. <laughs> you should. <laughs> it's so it's, funny. It's, it's follow your heart when you know the part. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the that's the that's the rest of I don't the phrase. I have an enlarged aortic root, so I'm not going to follow my heart anywhere. It doesn't know what it's doing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm all down for the follow your heart. I'm so used to it now. I'm so used to hearing the follow your heart from Matthew. But it is, it, I will still constantly yeah. give him endless shit. And now it's, it's even come home to my, to, to like me and my fiance. Sometimes we'll be like, "What do you want for dinner?" One of us will say, "Follow your heart." Yes, <laughs> yes. It's working. Hey, so uh, before we uh, talk about what we're listening to, Cole, 
much like Matthew, who's working on music constantly, uh, you have your, I don't know what you want to call it, but small songs. Do you want to go ahead and touch on that a little bit? Yeah, totally. Um, that's my main gig at the moment is small songs. It's written on the side of our vehicle slash home um, as we travel the country. Um, we meet musicians in different cities and we shoot stripped down music videos that are usually acoustic and outdoors and um, it's just called Small Songs on YouTube and Instagram and we're posting those videos um, three times a week so check it out if you'd like to what was the one you did where you guys were under a bridge it was just you and a um, a solo female artist I I can't remember her name right now yeah on the canoe that recently came out yeah that was beautiful she's yeah she's a real talent her name's Julie Odell um, and she hasn't put out a lot of music but she's quite the legend in New Orleans and all around the country a lot of people really love her so um, yeah, Julie Odell, that was quite a special um, shoot under that bridge in a canoe. I think my favorite one was when you uh, were working with Fishboy, who we've had on the show a couple times. Uh, but uh, And it was in the middle of the pandemic, so he's he's got that face mask that has like the cro- croquis on, crockies, whatever those are called. Um, and at the end of it because it's for his album Weight's Giving, he walks up and just starts hitting the, the weight stop sign, so it just keeps saying, wait, wait, wait. I think <laughs> yeah. that's my favorite you've done. <laughs> oh, yep. thank you. Yeah, he, he uh, that guy's the best, Eric. Um, mm-hmm. That was super fun. Um, and perfect to shoot him in Denton, which that album, Weight's Giving, takes place in on the same streets that a lot of his lyrics um, take place. So, that yeah, that was a super fun one, too. Yeah, that, that yeah. seemed like a pretty perfect match for him promoting his album, too, was, you know, kind of on a walking tour of sorts going through there with you. Yeah, definitely. And I, I sincerely hope, Cole, that you'll do more feature-length films of that style because I'm a huge... I love watching documentaries, but I like them even more when there's the, the story is told along with it, and you can kind of use the interviews to inform the story a little bit and I just, I, I hope, I can't wait to see more of that stuff from you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you um, watching the movie and, and having insights on the movie and being able to have a nice conversation about it with you guys. Is, it was it's a cool experience for me because I'm kind of distanced from all that since I'm out on the other side of the country and uh, doing my own thing. So it's cool to have these have this conversation. So with that... We'll go ahead and wrap up the show with what we're all listening to, and then Hagen, you can give us a nice plug. So, uh, all of us, the co-hosts, will go first, so you guys have time to think. And since I've already got the microphone, I will go ahead and discuss. I've really only been listening to one thing, and it's Black Midi's new album, Cavalcade. Uh, I've been really looking forward to that. They're uh, the UK kind of noise rock, whatever you want to call them. I've heard them called math rock I, I don't really like that but they took away their jam aesthetic and went more structured on this one and um i mean it's just wild i love it it's really fun so that's what i've been listening to uh thanks to hagen for this one because the gigs we played together this weekend he asked me to learn the song ladies from uh fiona apple's 2020 release fetch the bolt cutters and now every time i 
go to listen to music. I want to hear that song and then put the rest of the record on shuffle just so I can sit there and go, ladies, ladies, ladies. It's, it's the fucking best. So that, that's all I've been listening to. Uh, I've been listening to um, this, uh, I guess, progressive metal band called Alluvial. Uh, their new album called Sarcoma came out. Uh, amazing guitar work from Wes Hauk on this album. Like, fucking phenomenal guitar solos i mean we've all heard a good guitar solo but there's just like i mean and and we were all bored of guitar solos i'm sure uh but this album is full of some of the best metal guitar solos i've heard in a long time um and i don't know the vocalist's name but uh he has an amazing way of writing his like like rhythmically with his screams to go with the riffs in such a perfect way uh so if you like prog metal do that. Listen to that one. Album, what you got? I think this is the third week in a row that someone's going to mention it, but the Royal Blood album, I'm still listening to a lot. <laughs> like, a lot, a lot, because it's really great. Fuck you, it's, Jackson. It's so fucking good. It's such a good fucking record. All right, and I'm going to go ahead and answer for Matthew and Cole. Cole's been listening to the Beatles, and Matthew's been listening to <laughs> David Bazan. Cool. Let's get out of here. Just kidding. Go ahead. Matthew, what are you listening to? <laughs> I've been really into the new Annie Clark record, Daddy's Home, St. Vincent. It's fucking phenomenally produced. She is just killer as always, sexy as hell, and has some of the greatest licks and lyrics that you could want. Like I've, I've been such a huge fan of her music for years and years and years, and I always will be. And you know what? Funny story. She once kissed me on the cheek. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, Speecy, spicy. That's all I must say. Cole, what have you been listening to? Um, I've been listening to a band called Mr. Sam and the People People quite a lot recently. It's one of the people I met in New Orleans, um, and we were listening to it extra in New Orleans. They got he had a couple songs. One called Terrified, which seems like it would be like one of the biggest songs out there. Um, but he's just a, he's just a small, really talented indie dude, um, and he's got some new music coming out pretty soon too, which is exciting. So yeah, Mr. Sam and the People People is uh, my uh, recommendation. All right, and with that, we will go ahead and close up this podcast. Um, definitely, if you're interested in what we have talked about, nosebleeders, uh, these two gentlemen have been gracious enough to put it up on YouTube, which we we'll link to, but is there anywhere specific you guys want people to go to to uh, watch this uh, movie or just head over to that YouTube link? You can head to the YouTube link or go to makeamericaweirdagain.com. It is still right there. Like the, Our website is awesome and is very interactive for fans, and we're getting it's getting better and better and better. So go there for all types of video content. Go join our mailing list. Send us a little hello. Just know we love you. Thank you for hey, – can I just say one thing? To those of you that have listened, we've, we're getting close to 20,000 views, and I am floored. It puts tears in my eyes thinking about it. Thank you to everyone who has watched. Thank you to everyone who continues to want to talk about this, to have this really weird, strange, beautiful, personal conversation with me. I'm grateful for all of you guys. I'm grateful for Cole, but I am just, just wanted to say thank you to everyone who continues to watch this. We're thank you for being humbled. so vulnerable. You know what? A wise man once told me, and this is how I'm going to end this, great art takes great bravery. If you're not willing to be brave, go get a fucking day job. 
like we all have, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Cole. <laughs> I've well, got a day uh, job, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, with that, uh, I will do a Mattis plug because you can come see Matthew New York and see play in Denton at Armadillo on June 12th. So I will do a Mattis plug there. And then I will also take us out of the show unless anybody else has anything they want to add. Everyone feeling good? All right. I let's feel get great. The f- what did you say? What did you say? Bing bong. Bing bong. Okay. <laughs> Bing bong indeed. Uh, so thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate you all being here. This has been a really uh, special episode, I think, for a lot of us. Um, if you haven't already, please do us a favor and hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever app you're doing. It really helps us out a lot. If you're using Apple Podcasts, you could uh, even leave us a little five-star. Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, thank you guys so much. Seriously, it means the world. Um, so, and you can also follow us on social media. Fuck social media. Right. That's the thing. Uh, we're on all the social medias except for TikTok, but I think Jackson will get there. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it and fuck off. Give me a towel or a TikTok.